Hello, and welcome to the Preview Spotlight, a comic book page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be spotlighting items from the current month's previews catalog. This is Preview Spotlight number 187 for the June 2023 solicitations. In this episode, we'll be going over some of the items in the upcoming solicitations that you might find interesting. Now, comics are a pre-order business, so whether we like it or not, it behooves us to take a look at what's going to be offered a couple of months out and let our retailers know so they can order appropriately. Now, these episodes have an open submission policy, and I encourage you to send in clips to promote the comics you love as often as you can. Now, there are thousands of items solicited every month, and it's easy for things to get lost in the shuffle or just fly beneath your radar. We'll be starting with the DC Connect catalog, followed by the Marvel's Previews catalog, and then working our way through the Diamond Previews catalog. Obviously, we aren't going to go item by item, or page by page, or even publisher by publisher. We're just going to hit the highlights, and those highlights are picked by people like you. So with that, let's get going. My first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. I find these incredibly helpful to find out what's coming out a few months from now and kind of plan my order appropriately. Sometimes there's stuff that sounds good on paper, but I look at the art or something about the solicitation doesn't work for me, or there's something that I wouldn't have noticed unless, you know, the art had caught my eye or the solicitation looks pretty cool or something like that. Matter of fact, there have been a couple of times where I'll see something and realize I missed the first two issues or something like that and and go order them. So just flipping through these catalogs is kind of my monthly equivalent of the old Sears Toys catalog when I was a kid of, you know, finding out what cool things were out there to be had and then making sure I got them as, as best I could. So whether you get the printed catalogs or not, this information is available online at the various websites for the distributors and the publishers and such. Comics are a pre-order business. It makes sense to know what's coming out so you can let your retailer know so they can have it so you can get it. So once again, my first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. Hello, this is Mike M. from Mike M.'s Weekly Reads, Geek Brunch, Geek Brunch Retrocast, and DC Spotlight, and several other podcasts. Just celebrated 400 a Geek Brunch. Uh, decided to do a, one of these. I've been listening to the previous spotlights. I've been very delinquent in recording a uh, a clip because I've been excited about too much, and I don't, can't make a diff. I can't make a decision on which books to choose. But uh, I'm a mood reader. A lot has changed since I talked last time. Reduced my number of comics. I was easily spending about 1,500 a month. And reduce that more like to 700, 800 a month. And I still didn't make too much cuts in Marvel and DC, even though they seem like the easiest to do because of the apps, the digital apps. But I decided I love DC so much that like it, it would be like pulling my heart out. And I, the Marvel books, I'm really digging a lot right now. So anyway, the, what I'm going to talk about, it, which, uh, I don't think Billy Hogan mentioned Night Terrors. Like, I don't know if he's skipping the Superman books, but one thing I noticed about the Superman books that on DC's uh, 
connect page number 10 is that night terrors is a uh, create is by the original creators the writers of you know superman and action comics so i'll be talking about superman night terrors number number 2 and night terrors action comics number 2 just in general i think that philip kennedy johnson is one of the best superman writers we've had in a long time and if you go back to the golden age of of superman comics what really inspired Siegel and Schuster was John Carter, Warlord of Mars. So the fact that he dug that up and sort of put it into his Warworld saga was absolutely fantastic. I am excited a lot for the uh, Superman title as well, but from a different perspective. I like Joshua Williamson, and I think he's going to do good with Night Terrors. I just read the free comic book day one, and I thought the art by Bacallo and Porter was. The layouts were just fantastic. I, I don't know how much they're going to be doing of the book, but the free comic book day layouts were just very imaginative. They had a creepy vibe to it, like a, t- a book called Night Terrors should have. And I thought it was really exciting to, to look at and, and read. But Night Terrors Superman number two is Joshua Willinson and Tom Rain- Rayleigh, Riley, sorry. And the covers by uh, Gleeb Melnikov with several variant covers. I'm not going to read the solicit. If you know what's going on in Superman books, the whole Superman family is on Earth, with the exception of Superboy Connor Kent. Connor Kent's out in space because he feels like, how can I help? You know, what's going on? And he's dealing with other alien races and stuff, which is really key because they're they're messing with cloning in space too so i think that's really cool really cool for for connor kent this one has supergirl in it it's got superman and what i'm hoping that it has is they've introduced dr farm and graft in the comic book and these are sort of the villains that are pulling some strings in the background and man do they have a creepy vibe the where they're the where they're drawn the way they act the way they're displayed they look very something out of a rob zombie you know movie it is is freaky it is freaky and i think they go along really well with night terror so i i hope that they you know focus on some of those guys i don't really read the solicits like some people read the solicits because they have to make decisions on what to buy. But when you buy all the DCs, I don't even read them because I'm going to eventually read the comic book. And I think why I like comics so much is because I'm a mood reader, I don't read them exactly when they come out. I read them when, I, when I'm in the mood, and I think it affects my reading experience for any comics that I read, whether it be DC Marvel. But this, I, I've been really excited about DC uh, Superman. Family. The only one I haven't read or not up to date with is Steelworks because my shipment is is going to be late because of the holiday. But the uh, Night Terrors Action Comics that one's Lee Williams and Philip Kennedy Johnson and uh, art by Vasco George Georgie V Georgiev and uh, Miko Mikos Cyan and Rafael Sandoval is the variant cover. And they are some nice variants. Never get the variants because of that increase in cost. And when you're going from 4.99 to 5.99, that's that's one thing that's really hard when you're trying to reduce your comic book intake when all the comic books are going up a buck. 
a lot of the indies are at 4.99 now, just standard flat. They're they're at that, and uh, it looks like they're moving a lot of other comics to 4.99, which makes decreasing your cost less. And cost has never been an issue with me. For me, it's space. I'm getting old. I'm in my 50s, and lugging boxes up and down stairs and and just carrying them fully bagged and boarded with my mylar and halfbacks is just getting over. It's getting unbearable. And at 92, you know, I'm over, I just hit over 92,000. So it's, it's pretty crazy, but I've been reading a lot of Silver Age Superman, which has led me into the current Superman, but this is, you know, looks like it's going to feature Power Girl, Cyborg Superman. The the thing that the current run is doing, like the Return of Superman, it's bringing back a lot of the nineties when we had, you know, the, the Triangle Superman and Cyborg Superman and it is a main main character. Steel is in the picture. Obviously, Connor Kent, Superboy, and the Eradicator. So it is really looking like a good period of time for the Superman in my world. And the way Philip Kennedy Johnson did Mongol, especially in the an- annual where it was showing them as kids growing up, has been fantastic. Like that was one of the best issues I've ever read in my life. And some of the reveals that they retconned in there with, with Ma Kent were tearjerkers, in my opinion. It was poof. But I am looking forward to this. This looks like it's involving Cyborg Superman, who's always a, a creepy character. The Super Twins that came out of War World, absolutely fascinating. Uh, they'll be in this as well. Power Girl's going to be in it. Of all the new action comics segments, Power Girl's my least favorite. I think it. The concept is pretty cool, like, you know, a a psychologist that can go in your mind and deal with superpowers is kind of interesting, but it's hard to deal with with Power Girl. Like, I could see it being more of with the Titan that actually helps her, but this this is uh, a little bit different. I haven't read the special yet, but it's on my to-read list. But I want to uh, push these books. I, I really think these writers are doing a good job with Superman, and I'm enjoying all the Superman titles right now. I'm enjoying all of the Dawn of DC. I'm just really excited to be a DC fan. And I've been in the mood for Marvel and DC, which is very different because I swing from indie to... But I've been in the mood for Marvel and DC for like... Oof, it, it's been almost half a year, which has changed a little bit of my buying patterns. Not in DC, but in, in some of the other areas. You can tell where the cuts are. It's in the back half. Which doesn't make a lot of engineering sense because they're the hardest to get. But when you love something in physical media, you tend to want it physical media. The digital aspect is nice in case of trips and stuff like that. And I could just pull up the Ultra and wait a month. But that's where I've been. Real excited. Billy Hogan, hopefully he's back on the Superman bag wagon with Night Terrors. I hope he noticed the same writers are writing it. I don't remember him doing a clip for Night Terrors. I know he's done it for all the other Superman books, but uh, that should be really uh, exciting. And we get a lot of other action, you know, Superman action in this uh, previews, which I'm going to leave to other people. But yes, go deal with uh, Superman. Uh, And you see Parasite, Silver Banshee, a lot of cool villains. You get introduced to a new character, Marilyn Midnight, and then you just get to see the Super Family in action. and. the complexities that Luther's manipulating Superman. So I I really think this is a great time to be a Superman fan. 
just like I feel it for Spider-Man. But uh, here we go. And uh, thank you, John, for putting these out. I still listen to them regularly. I still listen to your um, monthly spotlight. Kind of interesting to see that you're sort of losing your interest in it, which is a little disappointing. I guess it's understood, but I'm glad I never did. And I think it's because of the way I read I read comics and sort of the release that they give me reading them more like a trade where I just marathon through them. So uh, thank you. And I'll hopefully try to do at least one clip next time. Thank you. Bye. Hi, I'm Billy Hogan, host of the Superman fan podcast. And I go by Superman fan on the forums. My first DC pick is on page 18 with Superman. 2023 Annual, written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Mahmoud Azrar, Max Rayner, Jack Herbert, and Caitlin Yarsky. The cover, the main cover, is by Mahmoud Azrar. Variant covers are by Jock and Chris Samney. A 1 in 25 variant cover by Edwin Galman. A 1 in 50 cover by Jorge Jimenez. The cover price for the regular edition is $5.99. For 48 pages, and the cardstock variant covers are $6.99, and this issue is scheduled to go on sale on August 8th. Lois Lane is now editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, but at heart she'll always be an investigative reporter. And lately, Metropolis has had a whole new set of secrets she must uncover, even if it means investigating her own husband, Superman, featuring Livewire, Parasite, and Mercy. This special issue is your next big puzzle piece leading to a massive Superman crossover in 2024. Don't miss out. I always love these annuals because it harkens back to my childhood in the 60s with the 80-page giant annuals I used to read of all the Superman stories that were reprinted at the time, which were the only way we could get uh, reprints of some stories that we may have missed. So I'm looking forward to what's coming up for the next year in Superman stories. Dr. Mo here with a DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Unstoppable Doom Patrol number five. The newest Doom Patrol series is still mucking about and it's on its fifth issue of seven, incidentally. This new series coincidentally comes out during the 60th anniversary of the Doom Patrol. And while it primarily features a number of Doom Patrol characters that we've come to love, not only in the comics, but also in fr- from the TV series, we also have a few new characters who have joined the cast of this iteration of Doom Patrol, characters like a new beast girl. So if you remember your Doom Patrol lore, there was a beast boy, later changeling. He's gone back, I believe, to beast boy now and is currently a member of the Titans. In this newest Doom Patrol series, writer Dennis Culver and artist Chris Burnham have put the Doom Patrol on a new mission in the wake of the Lazarus Planet event, the Doom Patrol is going around saving quote-unquote monsters and new metahumans who have manifested 
monstrous abilities and taking him to a place, a sanctuary, that is, where they can figure out how to use their powers and figure out how to get their lives back on track. Now, in issue five, according to the solicitation text, the Doom Patrol is taking on any town USA or, as the story goes, New Poplar, Illinois. So I, when I read the solicitation text, it kind of reminded me of some episodes of the Doom Patrol TV series in which they did take on some towns or just just some really random things that ha- that occurred in the town in which they were based upon. Now Dennis Culver is clearly drawing on the spirit of the Doom Patrol television series. I th- I believe the the Cliff Steele robot man from Unstoppable Doom Patrol really reminds me of the Cliff Steele version from the from the television show. Probably not as much foul language, but there's definitely some overlap or at least some inspiration drawn in here. One of the things I've been enjoying about the Unstoppable Doom Patrol is the fact that we're more or less getting done in one issues with some ongoing subplots, some A, an A, a B, and a C subplot. And they've been running throughout th- these issues. The writer Dennis Culver had said in, in interviews that his plan, this was his plan, was to have some subplot simmering in the background, which would come to fruition in later issues. Unstoppable Doom Patrol, number five, can be found on page 20 of DC Connect. Regular editions cost $3.99. The variant covers, which are cardstock, cost $4.99. Billy Hogan again. My next DC pick is on page 21 with Batman Superman, World's Finest, number 18. Written by Mark Wade with art by Travis Moore. The main cover is by Dan Mora, and that's the one I'll be getting. Variant covers are by Derek Robertson and Diego Rodriguez. And a 1 in 25 variant cover by Ariel Colon. A 1 in 50 variant cover by Megan Hetrick. A Blue Beetle movie variant cover by Raphael Albuquerque. The cover price of the regular edition is $3.99 for 32 pages, and the variant covers are $4.99, and it's scheduled to go on sale August 15th. Think you know how Superman and Batman met and became friends? Think again. Read the untold tale of how the worlds first collided, and the stunning secret loss that nearly destroyed their partnership before it even began. Now, back in the 1950s, there were several stories about how Batman and Superman first met. One of them was, I think the very first one was in the Superman title. And of course, they were very different from one another because continuity wasn't as important as it is now. But I'll be looking forward to reading how Mark Wade puts Superman and Batman together for the first time again. Dr. Mo here with the DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's World's Finest Teen Titans number two. The second issue of this spinoff series from Mark Wade's and Dan Mora's Batman Superman World's Finest series continues with a spotlight on Wonder Girl as she is 
attempting to reconnect with her human roots by leaving Themyscira for Metropolis, where she meets Mal Duncan. And if you are familiar with Teen Titans lore, you know that Mal Duncan ends up becoming the superhero known as Hornblower Guardian. He takes Vox. He takes on a number of different aliases. So what I find interesting in this series is that we are util- we're continuing to utilize the Bob Haney, Nick Carty version of the Teen Titans. And again, this is the version of the Teen Titans that have been making infrequent appearances in the Batman Superman series. Again, that is also written by Mark Wade. Now, for this miniseries, the artwork is being provided by Emanuela Lupacino. And Lupacino has been working at DC for a number of years. She's worked on Wonder Woman. She's done some Justice League fill-ins. She's done some work, I believe, on some Batman issues. She is very familiar with a wide range of DC characters. She's done work at Marvel as well. I remember her doing a run on uh, Peter David's uh, X-Factor series, the most recent volume of that went uh, from a few years ago. So stylistically, I think she is a good fit for this series. She really works well with younger characters. I believe that her artwork complements Dan Mora's artwork, which we're getting in the, the ongoing World's Finest series. I also appreciate the fact that we are fleshing out some of these Titans characters and hopefully, you know, this miniseries will be extended or at least come back for a second Teen Titans miniseries as well. Now, if you are reading the main book, the Batman Superman World's Finest series, I definitely encourage you to pick this up because the fact is, is that if you're not enjoying present day DC titles, this is a great way of sort of getting away from that to peering back to a period in DC lore in which you know we have the characters not necessarily they're they're dealing with danger and villainy and and so forth, but I I would say that there is a a bit of breeziness to this era of of DC continuity, I think that there's still a bit of world building and character exploration. And I think there's a bit of of fun in in this as well. You know, certainly the costumes for the characters based on the solicitation artwork and any sort of preview artwork we've seen, plus in what we've been getting in issues of Batman, Superman, World's Finest, the costumes have been updated a little bit. You'll see some more seams on things. For instance, uh, Wonder Girl's outfit or, for instance, Speedy's outfit. Or we've, we get Dick Grayson with a Robin costume with actual pants and seams and, you know, armor-plated shoulder pads. And those types of things don't worry, worry me because, again, st- you look at it, it visually, it, it more or less matches what you were getting back in the 60s and 70s and so forth with these Teen Titans characters just updated for modern times. What I care about is the tone and the 
feel that we get with this series. And I think that Mark Wade is hitting the nostalgia buttons in the right way and that he's creating something that is very accessible. It has really nice, attractive artwork being provided by Emanuela Lupacino. World's Finest Teen Titans number two can be found on page 21 of DC Connect and costs $3.99 for a regular cover. Variant covers, which are cardstock, cost $4.99 each. Hey, this is James here with my first pick in the DC Connect. And I'm over on page 22 where I'm looking at Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number six. This is written by Tom Taylor. The art is by Clayton Henry. The only reason why I'm calling out this book is there's not a lot coming out from DC other than this Night's Tear, which I'm really not interested in. And I wanted to call out this book because this has been a better series by Tom Taylor writing John Kent than the original series by John by Tom Taylor writing John Kent. So it was relaunched six issues ago. I think he's done a much better job. We got rid of the uh, boyfriend. I, I, I hate saying got rid of. He still exists, but he hasn't been in the book. And it became more of a John-focused book. And it got into the Super Sons aspect, which I enjoyed. And then it became a um, John also going to another world. I won't. I don't want to spoil it, so I won't say, even though John and I have kind of talked about it, where there's a different superhero team <laughs> in charge in a world that Tom Taylor wrote, and it's collected in Omnibus, so there's a hint for you. But in this world, I think it's a lot of fun because you have essentially John focusing on father issues and getting to the core of who he is. And I think we're also going to see some new powers that have been displayed by John Kent coming to fruition in this story. I think that we'll see some of that. So I think it's just been fantastic. The The book was kind of like, okay, before when Tom Taylor's writing it. The book has gotten good since the relaunch. So I think this is one of those Dawn of the DCU books. I, I honestly can't say, but it was a relaunch. But if you have an opportunity to go back and pick up the first five issues, and, or you can just pick up here with number six, because it is very good. Now, this one does say Super Sun versus Super Sun, which should tell you that he's not in the regular like little pocket world or the main DCU. Um, I won't tell you where he is unless they spoil it here in the solicit, but it says it's Batman versus Superman, Super Sun versus Super Sun. Sounds good. And they're kind of... For, Something, uh, man, I, I can't read the solicit because it's going to spoil it. But if you are reading the solicits, you're going to get spoiled. So spoiler alert, but I'm going to read this. Okay. And just as Superman is ruling with a fist of steel, Ken John can't free the entire world. And what could he lose if he tries? So that's a little bit spoilery. At least you know where he is. It doesn't tell you what's going to happen with the story. But yeah, John's been in the injustice world. And I just, that's fantastic because not only is it we're seeing John as a man versus him being a kid before. You're seeing John coming to terms with, like, looking at a different alternative to the Blue Boy Scout, the, the world that he built. And how does John react to that with a guy who looks and almost sounds, behaves, acts to some degree, just like his dad? So I think this is a really fun read. 
I think if you haven't been reading it, like I said, you need to go back and pick up the first trade when it comes out. But just a fantastic book all around. And on to my next pick. Billy Hogan again. My next pick from DC is on the very next page, number 22. With Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number 6. The final issue of this miniseries. Written by Tom Taylor. With art and cover by Clayton Henry. And that's the one I'll be getting. Variant covers by Ariel Colon and Laura Braga. A 1 in 25 variant cover by Zoo or Zoo. A 1 in 25 variant cover by Clayton Henry. And a Blue Beetle movie variant cover by Cully Hamner. The cover price of the regular edition is $3.99 for 32 pages. And the cardstock variant covers are $4.99. And this issue is scheduled to go on sale August 1st. It's Batman vs. Superman. Super Sun vs. Super Sun. And just as Superman is ruling with a fist of steel, can John Kent free an entire world? And what could he lose if he tries? I've enjoyed this miniseries so far. I like the idea of alternate Superman in various universes, in the multiverse, and especially with the turned evil Injustice Superman. So I can't wait to read how this miniseries wrapped up and what's in store next for John Kent. Hey, this is James with another pick in the DC Connect, and this time I'm over on page 32 in the collected editions. And what's funny with the DC Connect is like you get comics, then you get collected editions, then you go back to single-issue comics, and then you get collected editions. I don't know why they do that that way, but... I don't know why. Sometimes you'll get some collected editions in between the comics, but whatever. Here we are. (laughs) Now, on page 32, it is The Nice House on the Lake, written by James Tinian IV. The art is by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. This one, it says, is $49.99, but it's the whole collection. It's 424 pages. It is a hardcover. So this is a, a deluxe edition, which does mean it's a hardcover. And I believe it's collecting the whole thing. Yeah, it collects the entire 12-issue first cycle and features brand new cover, original character outlines, and a gallery of development and behind-the-scenes extras. So yeah, you're getting the whole thing here in one boom. And this story was very weird. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I mean, I used to talk about it with John on the monthly comic spotlight when it was coming out. But just imagine that all these characters, they come into contact and they befriend someone or something we'll say and this someone brings them to invites them all to a nice house on a lake and when i say a nice house i'm talking about a mansion it's huge imagine like if i had to describe it i would guess super modern looking 8000 maybe 10000 square foot house tons of rooms space for you know these tw- let's say there's 12 guests that are coming along with the with the host and cool stuff happens you know you Anything you want is there, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. But then there's some cracks in the facade that start to appear. And once once you're there, potentially you can't leave. And that's where this story starts taking you down a darker path. I would not call it a horror book. What I would call it is like a suspense book. The horror is the suspense and the fear of not knowing, the fear of this person who you befriended maybe isn't who or what you thought they were. So I thought it was a really good read. I think you should pick it up if you haven't read it before. I liked it enough to where I may pick this up and double dip on it. 
because it was a really good read. And it does say up here at the top, really big bold, winner of the Eisner Award for the best new series. Uh, so I, I would agree with that. It was a really good series. I wouldn't call it the best series ever, but it was it was solid. And I'm going to pick it up. And remember, Eric, Deep Discount Comics, Eric from Calabunga, on our Slack channel, friend of the podcast. We have him on the recording sometimes. He'll sell it to you for 25 bucks. So just keep that in mind. On to my next pick. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Brawley again. I go by Brawlinator on the Slack channel and in the forums. And for my picks this month, I'm in the DC Connect to kick things off. On page 35, it's DC Horror Presents Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Dead Collected Edition. This is a hardcover edition. Last year, DC Comics kicked off a six-issue series with Evil Dead star Bruce Campbell in charge of the story and Eduardo Risso handling the art. It was sort of basically the recontextualized adventures of Sergeant Rock, first created uh, by Joe Kubert and Robert Kaniger back in 1959. In this particular series, to turn the tide of the war, Hitler and his team of evil scientists created a serum that resurrects their dead soldiers, creating an army of the dead even stronger than they were in life. So Sergeant Rock and Easy Company find themselves dispatched into enemy territory to face off against the strangest, most horrific enemies they've ever encountered Nazi zombies. Now I picked this up in single floppy issues. I thought it was fun. The art was solid. I was surprised pleasantly by Campbell's writing. And if you think you like the idea of this concept, it delivers. Check out the hardcover edition over on page 35 of DC Connect. Billy Hogan again. My next DC pick is on page 42 with Batman. The Adventures Continue Season 3. Number 8, which is the final issue of this miniseries. Written by Alan Burnett and Paul Denny, with art and cover by Ty Templeton, a variant cover by Kiran Grant, and a variant cover by Gustavo Duarte, a 1 in 25 variant cover by Hayden Sherman. The cover price is three ninety nine for 32 pages, and the variant cardstock covers are four ninety nine. and this issue is scheduled to go on sale August 8th. Over the last three seasons, the minds behind the version of Gotham that defined a generation have brought you a continuation of their masterwork, and now that continuation comes to an end. Ra's al Ghul's mysterious plot has now been fully revealed, but will Batman be able to stop it in time, or has the Dark Knight's luck finally run out? Find out in this series finale over 30 years in the making. Having Ra's al Ghul wrap up this miniseries is a... Great way to do it. He's one of Batman's most challenging villains. But I hope this isn't the final miniseries set in the animated series universe. Billy Hogan again. My final DC pick is on the very next page, number 43, with Fables number 161, the 11th issue of a 12-issue miniseries. Written by Bill Willingham, with art by Mark Buckingham. The main cover is by Corrine Reed, and the variant cover is by Mark Buckingham, and I'll be getting the cover by Corrine Reed. The cover price is $3.99 for 32 pages, and the cardstock variant cover will be $4.99, and this issue is scheduled to go on sale August 8th. In this penultimate issue with the lives of the inhabitants of the Black Forest on the line, Peter Pan and Hernay enter a bloody battle that will bring both to their knees. 
but when Tinkerbell comes to the aid of her beaten boss, she'll unleash an unimaginable fury, and there's no telling who will live and who will die. Peter Pan, presented in the Fables miniseries here, is one of the series' most evil villains, and Tinkerbell seems to be almost as powerful, if not more so, than her boss. So I can't wait to read this issue and see how it sets up the final issue of this miniseries. And hopefully, the creative team will come up with another Fable miniseries in the future. Dr. Moe here with a DC pick for the preview spotlight episode, It's Static, Shadows of Dakota, number two. This follow-up miniseries to Static Season 1 continues with continuing to focus on Eben and Static's quest to find out what has been happening to the Bang Babies. Now, what... If you have been reading this miniseries thus far, you, you will see sort of this interesting parallel or duology between Eben and Static. Clearly, both of them are interested in what's going on with Bang Babies, but how they're going about trying to unravel this mystery and solve this problem differs dramatically. I mean, static is, it's still static. The same character we've been getting for 30 years, you know, whether it's Static in the comics, Static the animated character, it's still like a teen superhero, I would say, in the mold of Peter Parker, you know, using his electrical powers for the betterment of, of his city, not just bang babies, but the disenfranchised. And, and it, 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 we get that throughout previous issues of this of this miniseries. I personally wish this was an ongoing series because I think that these mini series, while they they drill down and cover a particular story, for me it doesn't necessarily they don't necessarily lend to a lot of subplots building outside of the a plot that may be driving this series. You know, there's certainly like we've been getting character growth with with Static, with his supporting cast, whether it's his friends like Frida, whether it's his parents and his sister, we're getting glimpses of that. But I think that if we had an ongoing series, we could delve a bit further into these characters because this is just such wonderful, refreshing material. The the, the issue is continuing to be rewritten by uh, Nicholas Draper Ivy. And Vita Ayala, you know, the same folks who've been who've been writing previous installments of this series. Vita Ayala uh, wrote Static Season One. Nicholas Draper Ivy also does double duty, providing the artwork for the uh, for this issue, in addition to providing artwork for for previous issues. And he was the artist for Static Season One. Again, I think that. If you're looking for a refreshing or at least what I consider a refreshing uh, take on superheroes. And and that's it's not necessarily it's not this is not world ending storylines. This it to me is it feels contemporary. 
I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Nicholas Draper Ivy's art style, which clearly is this interesting blend of animation. I think that it balls heavily from the type of artwork that we would probably have seen in milestone books from you know, the mid 90s. And it, 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 there's this intersection of the two. And with the coloring, it creates something very different that we're getting out of other books at DC. And I feel as if there is certainly a message in this book, but I don't necessarily feel as though I'm being preached at. I'm, I feel as though I'm just going along in the lives of these characters, which I think is really important. So if you want to continue getting additional seasons or volumes of Static, I suggest that you pick this up. I certainly want to see how Virgil, this version of Virgil, continues to evolve. Because I have a feeling that while the core of Virgil from 30 years ago and this current Virgil is very, it remains consistent. I think that, you know, the situations are different and I would like to continue to see how this new Virgil develops as a character. Static Shadows of the Coda number six can be found on page 44 of DC Connect and the regular edition costs $3.99. The variant edition costs $4.99. My next pick is on page 51 of the DC Connect, and it is Wayne Family Adventures Trade Paperback Volume 2. Now, you may remember when I talked about Volume 1 back in April that covers Episodes 1 through 25 of the web series they've been doing. This presumably will cover 26 through 51. I say presumably because I actually lied about the page number and having talked about the previous volume. There is a Wayne Family Adventures Volume 2 being offered this month. I think it's in the order form. It's not in DC Connect, which only goes to page 50. And there is a Volume 1 that came out that did indeed collect Episodes 1 through 25 of the web series they were doing, but it never hit DC Connect at all. And I don't know if this will either, so I thought I would just kind of, you know, with a little tongue-in-cheek and stuff, point both of these out. Now, the Wayne Family Adventure stuff is a lighthearted series they're doing over on Webtoons featuring the Batman family, and it's more slice-of-life, comedic-type stuff. And I'm enjoying it. It's got a good art style. It's fun. It's telling stories that we would never get over in Batman or Detective or kind of the dark and downbeat DC Comics these days. Again, much lighter tone, a lot of fun, playing up the personal dynamics. And the creators behind these really do seem to understand these characters. So it's a ton of fun. The first volume was going for $14.99. And I'm assuming the second one will be about the same, but I don't know. And I'm figuring it'll cover episodes 26 through 51 since that was the end of the first season. They've since done a second season. But since they didn't see fit to actually do a solicitation for these in the catalog, I don't know for sure. 
either way, I've asked Eric to get me that first volume, and I'm going to either put it on the order form it's there or ask him for the second volume, because again, they're doing a stealth solicit on this, which just blows my mind. It's, it's silly for them to do this, but whatever. Wayne Family Adventures Volumes 1 and 2. If you're enjoying the Webtoon stuff and want a print copy of it, this is the way to get it. Hey, this is James back with a pick from the Marvel previews. And this time I'm on page number four, where we get a new number one. But this is a one, that, a number one that is relaunched, but it's making me happy. And I'll explain that. It is The Immortal Thor, number one, written by Al Ewing, Martin Cock. Oh, man. Cockolo? Cockolo <laughs> is the artist. Covers by Alex Ross. That's always a good thing. Okay, man, I'm going to read you what it says in real bold red. Al Ewing, Martin Cockolo, and Alex Ross give the God of Thunder the immortal treatment. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, Donnie Cates had taken over Thor right after Jason Aaron's run finished. Jason Aaron had one of my favorite runs of Thor of all time, right up there with Simonson. Fantastic stuff. Cates came in and it was really cool. Something completely different, unexpected. Wow. If I had to guess somewhere in the 20s, 20-something, which is, I am guessing about a year ago, because we're up to issue 34 right now with the current run of Thor, What's in My Hands. Donnie Cates dropped off the book. He dropped off all books. He has some stuff trickling out from Image, Vanish Comics, but those, it's like the last few are being shipped, but there's no more being solicited. The artist from Vanish, Ryan Stegman, is working on a different project, so I don't know when we'll see that book again. But Donnie Cates, I wish him well. I don't know what happened, but he is not writing comics currently. Marvel it will be happy to have him back whenever he's ready to come back. I wish him well. Hope he comes back soon. But because of that, there was a litany of writers. So it, it, it kind of happened apparently unexpectedly because writers were coming in, happenstance, put in here and there and wherever, and it didn't make a coherent story. They were trying to pick up pieces of a story that was really good. Kate's run was very good. Then I think it was Torin Gronbeck took over like the last, if I had to guess, six issues and kind of is finishing off the run but put into a really kind of tough position because she'd pick it up for other writers who just stepped in and wrote an issue or two here or there. It's just, it's really unfortunate what happened because it was a good run, uh, unlike his Hulk run. So I'm happy to see the immortal Thor, or Thor in general, just being relaunched. And it says, in North, Norse myths, they called him Thunderer. Viewer has been, <laughs> has been called Hjordi. <laughs> This is a solicit. These are the uh, Nordic names. The gods known him as Asgard King, Keeper of Mjolnir, Hero of, of the Tales. When injustice grips the earth and the ancient powers bring down the sky, he fights for those who cannot. And when the tale is done, we will know what the cost is. This is the story of the immortal Thor. Plus a bonus page written by Jonathan Hickman, Who Are the Gods? Hey, you know what? I'm cool with that. I love Jonathan Hickman. And I'm glad he's asking Who Are the Gods? Because are these people, the Asgardians, are they the gods? Or are the mutants the new gods? Because they can literally re resurrect themselves. And apparently when the Asgardians guide, they go to Valhalla. They do not resurrect. So who are the gods? So I'm kind of happy that piece is in there because maybe that will explain that paradox. And are we going to have that paradox forever? I don't know. But I, I view the mutants right now as deities. So on to my next pick. 
My next pick is on page 26 of the Marvel previews, and it is Alpha Flight number one. Now, this looks to be starring a lot of the classic Alpha Flight characters, Puck, Shaman, Guardian, or Vindicator, or whatever he's going by in this issue. Snowbird, Northstar, Aurora, Nemesis, which is actually one of the later characters. I think we're going to get Fang, maybe a few others. And this is tying into the Fall of X, which is all well and good, but I actually like classic Alpha Flight. It was one of the first ongoing Marvel titles I was getting, certainly one of the first I got from the first issue. I think I was on Fantastic Four before that, but it's like, hey, it's a new first issue at Marvel, I'll try that out. This is one of my gateways into the Marvel Universe. So hopefully this will be some good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Again, that's Alpha Flight number one of five, tying into the Fall of X stuff on page 26 of the Marvel previews. This is Jason with a pick from the Marvel previews catalog. It's on page 44. It's Werewolf by Night, number 33, facsimile edition. The Powers That Break. Werewolf by Night versus Moon Knight, round two. In his debut appearance, Mark Spector did the job for which he was hired, hunting and capturing Jack Russell. But transporting the werewolf back to the shadowy committee and collecting his hard-earned fee won't be easy, because the moon is still high and Jack still has some fight left in him. Can the unfortunate lycanthrope escape before dawn turns him back into human form? And if not, will the mercenary Mark really leave Jack to the mercies of the Sinister Committee? Find out in a crucial chapter of the story of the werewolf by night, one that set Moon Knight on the path to becoming a silver-clad sensation. It's one of the all-time great Marvel comic books, boldly represented in its original form, ads and all, reprinting Werewolf by Night number 33. So I already have the Werewolf by Night 32 facsimile edition, and uh, I look forward to getting a facsimile which has all the ads and letter pages and everything from this one, which kind of completes that first two-part story arc of Moon Knight's first appearance. So you can kind of see some of the seeds of the the character kind of, you know, essentially coming in as a bad guy, but then quickly go, going ahead and, and turning and, you know, seeing some heroic aspects of the character as well. And I think that's kind of a, and then obviously the, you know, prowling around by night and things like that, those kind of things that I like, the street level hero. So highly recommend this if you guys are a classic uh, Moon Knight fan. Hi, this is Jason with another pick, this time from the Marvel Previews catalog on page 53. It's What If Dark Moon Knight number 1. What if Moon Knight did not survive his battle with Bushman? When Conchu's avatar is slain, a different god empowers their own new champion. From the darkness emerges a new force to light the way, Luminary. But will her quest for revenge against Moon Knight's killer result in her downfall? So I always, as much as I don't want Moon Knight to die in real continuity, even though, of course, we know characters don't stay dead. But I am curious, these kind of what if parallel things, like what if he did not make it and somebody else took over the mantle? I am curious what they're saying, what different God empowered this character and and very curious, like what direction this story will go. So if anybody's a fan of the What If series, I highly recommend, and especially Moon Knight, of course, to uh, check this out and see which direction they take it. What's up, guys? X-Men Patrick. You might hear my dogs in the background. Sorry about that. But I'm uh, recording now for the Marvel previews. It's been a while since I've recorded. 
I am on page, of course the one I'm looking at doesn't have a page number. I didn't get my Marvel previews yet, so I am actually going off of downloads. 62, with The Incredible Hulk, number 3. I would have called out 1 and 2, but of course, like I said, I wasn't recording. Philip Kennedy Johnson is the writer, Nick Klein artist and cover artist. Variant cover by Frank Miller. Hulk faces undead horror as Age of Monsters continues. Hulk investigates a creature being worshipped in an abandoned mining town and finds primordial horror as large as the mines itself awaiting him, using the town's residents as human shields. From his darkest corners of the minds of Philip Kennedy Johnson and Nick Klein, the first chapter of Age of Monsters culminates in a battle between the Hulk and the monster unlike any he's faced before. I doubt that. Did you see the last one where he faced himself and bigger parts of himself and big Wolverine? Anyway, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. Three ninety-nine, thirty-two pages. I'm hoping this Hulk book is better than the last one. Sorry, again, about the dogs. As I was flipping through, this might be my only Marvel previews. I might have another one. But as I was flipping through, it's classified, number one. Classified, no picture, no nothing. And what am I supposed to order that? Oh, yeah, uh, comic book store. Get me classified, number one. Yeah, that, that's stupid marketing. Anyway, that was my rant. On to the next pick. Hey, this is James back with another pick in the Marvel previews. And this time I'm on page 71 where I'm looking at Daredevil number 14. And in real big bold red, it says The End with two Ds for Daredevil. (laughs) The Ended. Written by Chip Zdarsky, also the Batman writer. And artist is Marco Cicchetto. And it says The End. And it says, but of what? A life, a love, a marriage. Yeah, by the way, did you know Daredevil's married? I've been talking about it, so spoiler. Married to Elektra. Matt Murdock's time as Daredevil? Or the latest and greatest run of one of Marvel's most celebrated sagas? All of the above? Question mark. This is going to be the putting the toys back in the box. New status quo for a new Daredevil that will be coming along. Which I don't know if it'll be Elektra. I don't know if it'll be Matt Murdock. I don't know what's going on. We'll find out soon. But one thing I will say. I, I had to call out this book because I feel like Chip Zdarsky did a really good run on Daredevil. He's been writing Daredevil now for about five years. He had a a series that went like, I think it was like 36 issues. Then he had like a little mini series. Then he's on issue 14 now. So if you add up all those issues, it comes out to about five years that he's been writing the character. I felt like he did a fantastic job on it. It was engaging. It was different. It was exciting. I think he did a well enough job that DC looked at that as they were doing the dawn of the DCU and looking for a new writer on Batman, that they went ahead and they picked Chip Zdarsky to be the writer on Batman. Now, what I will say is I feel like his run on Batman has not been very good, which is unfortunate because I thought he did a terrific job with Daredevil, which is a street-level character, and I thought he'd do a good job there. And it's possible. Good things could come. But we're, we're now looking at a Batman-Catwoman thing coming up, and it just left me ho-hum. John was talking about on the Slack. But I will say this is a salute and a farewell and a thank you for a very good run. I know this will be collected. It may be enough material where there may be an omnibus. If not, there'll probably be some trades you can pick up. This is something I would pick up and trade because if you're a fan of Daredevil or if you're a fan of Chip Zdarsky, it was a good run. It's one of the better things he's written. So on to my next pick. Hey, this is James here with my next pick in the Marvel's previews. And it is on page 87. And remember how I said they may be collecting 
Chip Zdarsky's run of Daredevil and an omnibus. That was kind of like my teaser, my hint, my hook. No, they're not collecting the whole run of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, but here on page 87, we do have Devil's Reign omnibus hardcover. It is written by Chip Zdarsky, but also Carlo Pacheco, or Carla Pacheco, Zach Thompson, Clay McLeod, Chapman, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, Jerry Dugan, Anthony Piper, Jed McKay, and more. And penciled by every, well, Mark Cicchetto, who did the main Daredevil series, and everyone and their brother. Everyone penciled this. But this one is collecting Devil's Reign 1 through 6, Spider Woman 18 and 19, Daredevil Woman Without Fear number 1 through 3, Devil's Reign Superior 4 1 through 3, Devil's Reign Villains for Hire 1 through 3, Devil's Reign Winter Soldier, Devil's Reign X-Men 1 through 3, Devil's Reign Spider-Man Moon Knight eh, number 8, and Devil's Reign Moon Knight, Moon Knight and Devil's Reign Omega. Okay, I guess I have the Moon Knight twice. That was weird. The Moon Knight 20. Oh, sorry. That was. <laughs> I read that wrong. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> it's $100. It is 656 pages. You'll be paying about 50 bucks from Eric from Cowabunga. Now, I'm probably going to pick this up. And the reason why, one, I liked the Daredevil run by Chip Zdarsky. This was the big event coming out of his first run of Daredevil, which went for about 36 issues that built up to this mini event inside the Daredevil world and led into everything that spilled out of it on the back end, his second Daredevil run, which just is ending with issue 14 being solicited now. I like the covers on these, but anyways, what happened with Devil's Reign? I'm going to tell you a little bit. This is going to spoil if you haven't read any Daredevil, but like I said, it's a good run. I read it anyways. At one point, you have people running to be become mayor of of basically Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Every Well, New York City, which covers Hell's Kitchen. And Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, he wins the election. So you have Mayor Fisk, who works with these other teams, which are like the Devil's Superior Four. You have the Villains for Hire, you know, Devil's Reign, different bad groups, but they're policing things because Fisk, essentially what he does is kind of outlawing masks and outlawing these secret identity type things. It felt like a lot of that stuff in Civil War, not necessarily where you're registering, but we don't want vigilantes running around a mask out on the street. And what he does is he hires these super baddies <laughs> to enforce it, because lo and behold, who's William Fisk friends with, being the kingpin. And there's a lot more to it than that. There's the woman without fear, which is, I won't tell you, but you can probably guess, but it's not my last recordings on Dare, on the monthly spotlight about Daredevil and also previously when I was talking, who the woman without fear is. But this was very good, and I did not read every one of these spinoff stories. I did read quite a few of them because I enjoyed the story itself. But I think this will collect it really nice, and I liked it enough where I'm going to double dip. I'm going to pick it up for like 50 bucks, and I will read it one day, probably 30 years from now when I've forgotten the story. And who knows if it will hold up because I'm so backed up on hardcovers, I don't know when I'm going to read these things. But if you want to check out a good Daredevil run, this is not the Daredevil run per se, but this was the events that came out of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil run. This is it. Probably the the best of the Omnibi being solicited this month, just for me. You know, there's some stuff like Ben Riley ones, but I picked those up in the past. So if you're interested in it, pick this up, check it out. It was a good read. On to my next pick. Brawlinator again, and if you've never heard of the Spider-Man event called the Clone Saga, I'm going to question your comic book fan bona fides. 
Clone Saga was an extended storyline that actually had its start way back in the 70s when the Jackal made a clone of Spider-Man and his dead girlfriend Gwen and some other characters. In a clever callback, in 1984, all of the regular Spider-Man series and several limited series and one-shots took the event and stretched it to nearly three years into 1997. It became one of the most controversial Spider-Man stories ever told, but at the time, I thought it was so much fun. Although it was a very long story arc, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I remember I was dipping in and out of comics over the years, and I dipped out not long afterwards and was a little surprised at how much flack the story caught. So I think that over time, it has become maybe more revered than it was in the immediate aftermath. It was a super long story arc, and it really was a story that got out of hand after Tom DeFalco was fired. It just sort of blew up, and Marvel really didn't know what to do with it. Uh, There's actually a great six-issue miniseries from 2009 called Spider-Man The Real Clone Saga, written by DeFalco and Howard Mackey, that tells the story the way it was originally planned. I think that's also worth picking up. Unfortunately, though, it's not included in this reissued Spider-Man The Clone Saga Omnibus. Again, that is over on page 88. This has been printed before. It does include the 1994 to 1996 titles, 41 issues in all, which really doesn't quite cover it all because there is a second volume of this that includes things like Maximum Clonage and Scarlet Spider and several dozen other. This is actually, again, a new printing, but if you didn't get it and you're interested, check out the solicits over on page 88 of this month's Marvel Previews. Hey, this is James with a pick from the previews catalog. And the first thing that caught my eyes over on page 42, where I'm looking at The Cull, number one of five, by Kelly Thompson, art by Matea de Ulis. I'm butchering this name, but oh well. What it says, I like always like they put the black box and they do the mashup. And it says, something is killing the children meets Super 8. And this perfectly dark coming of age story for fans of the Goonies. Well, I did like Something is Killing the Children. I didn't stick on it long term, but I did pick up a lot of the the first arc. And I love the Goonies. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Goonies. So I was like, okay, I might check this out. And she did do Black Cloak, which I've heard has uh, – Kelly Thompson has done about Black Cloak, which I'm sure has you guys have known. has gotten a lot of good reviews. So I, I do need to pick up Black Cloak, and it is being resolicited. So who knows? I may pick that up too. But it says Eisner award-winning writer Kelly Thompson from Black Cloak, and superstar artist Mat- Mattia Deulis, whatever, from Captain America, team up for their first creator-owned work together. Something is Killing the Children horror vibes mixed with the Goonies-style adventure, and I love Goonies-style adventure, as five friends set off to shoot a short film on a forbidden rock near their home the summer before they all go their separate ways. But that's not really why they're there. One of them has lied, and that lie will change their lives forever. Sounds like a cool premise. I don't know. It could be something that really grabs me. It could be something where I'm like, eh, but I'm definitely going to give it a shot. It's only five issues, so I have cleaned a lot of stuff out of my reading list. This is something I may have room to add this on there. On to my next pick. Dr. Mo here with an image pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Local Man Gold. The Local Man Gold is a one-shot that appears to be coming out after the end of the first story arc in the 
ongoing local man series. Now, this special is written by Tim Seeley and Tony Fleeks, who are the writers and artists on the ongoing local man series. Now, if you're not familiar with local man, it is the story of Jack, who is a washed up superhero named Cross Jack, who after a controversy gets booted off of his 90s style team and has to go home to live with his parents and pick up the pieces of his life. Now, in Local Man Gold, Jack comes face to face with his younger version of himself, his alter ego, Cross Jack, in a trippy time caper that involves another being who has come from the past to hunt them both down. Now, the One of the reasons why I am so hyped and keen about this issue is that it ties into, or is, is I would say, a an homage to an old inter-company inter crossover between Image and Valiant comics back in the mid-90s. I'm talking about that infamous Death Mate crossover. If you've seen the preview cover for uh, Local Man Goals A cover, you will definitely think you have been catapulted back to those classic Death Mate covers from the 1990s. And if you remember the Death Mate storyline, there was a bit of time, space, shenanigans going on, blurring the lines between various valiant superhero teams and image superhero teams. I remember keenly the bloodshot, young blood sort of hybrid and death mate red. So I'm I get a get a sense we're we're gonna get some homages. We know based on the solicitation text for local man gold that we will be getting guest appearances by Cyberforce, Street Angel, Boof, and the Bruise Crew. Now if you were reading image comics back in the nineties, you you probably vague may have a vague recollection of Booth and the Bruise Crew. It took me a moment to place place this title. I actually had to do a little Google search, but once I pulled up an image, I immediately remembered what that was about. So uh, if you are if if you were a fan of 90s image, if you've been enjoying the local man series, and I, I think that, you know. As as someone who was very steeped in '90s image comics, I'm I'm finding this this series to be a nice sort of throwback, but at the same time, it's a commentary on you know the '90s ish versus you know 30 years later how you know people are reflective of of their time period and they acknowledge things that happen but at the same time you know we change over the decades and and that's not necessarily a bad thing but i i think that 
local man's doing it in a way that it's a, it's very tongue in cheek, but it's not mean spirited. I'm, I'm really enjoying the ongoing local man series. Local man gold can be found on page 50 of the diamond previews catalog and costs $4.99. There is also a B cover. Billy Hogan again. My only pick from Image Comics is on page 69 with Hey Kids Comics Volume 3, Schlock of the New, number 5 of a 6-issue miniseries. The writer and artist is Howard Chaikin, with co- the cover artist is Don Cameron. The 1980s births a completely unanticipated commercial and artistic renaissance, but editorial has notes, and fans who only yesterday were sneaking time on the school office mimeograph become today's commercial comic book darlings. WTF? Schedule be in shops on August 2nd for the cover price of $3.99. I've loved the previous two volumes of Chaikin's Hey Kids Comics. He is very knowledgeable about the history of comic books, even of the early era, because he got to meet a lot of the classic comic book artists that we're all familiar with. So he kind of has learned where all the skeletons are buried, so to speak, and has presented it in these three volumes of a fictionalized history. But it's not that hard to figure out who the real people that these fictional characters represent. So if you love comic book history, I would recommend picking up not just this issue in this volume, but the previous two volumes of Hey Kids Comics, which have previously been collected in trade paperback what's up guys x-men patrick here and i am now in for the last time premier publishers in the diamond book image is the first one for the last time because now they are now they are now part of lunar distribution from dcbs comics starting probably next month and they will not be in the front of the book anymore who are going to put in the front because the next group is Boom Studios. Is that their next big publisher in Dynamite? It's getting scary. Aftershock, who can't pay their people. Anyway, I am on page 78. We're looking at Scrapper number two. I would have called them out, you know, last month, but stories by Cliff Blazinski. If that name rings a bell, it's because that is Cliffy B from Unreal Gears of War video game area. He retired, opened his own company, And that fell flat on its face. And now he's writing books. This is also Alex de Campi is the story. Art, Ryan Kelly and Jordi Belair. We've all heard of Jordi Belair, but I can't remember from where. Covers Ron Ferreria. Reeling from the loss of his home with dozens of smite stormtroopers on his tail. Scrapper has to flee across town. Tank recruits the city of other critters to give him a paw. Or wing. Second action pack issue from the games legend Cliff Blazinski's now here with art by great Ryan Kelly. Blah, 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 blah. If you ever wanted to pet the dog in the video game, this book is for you. Sounds pretty cool. I'm going to get number one, number two. I'm going to get them all. And I had to look up the guy because I was like, I had never heard of this dude. So I looked him up, found out what he was from. Going to be weird finding image further back in the book, but you know what? Times are changing. All right, on to the next pick. 
Hey, this is James back with my next pick in the previews catalog, and this time I'm in the boom section, and I'm over on page 92 with a comic that I was surprised to see. I didn't know we'd be getting this again. It is called Mech Cadets, number one of six, written by Greg Pak, illustrated by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring. By the way, Mech Cadet U, spelled Y-U, not Y-O-U, came out in 2017. I have the whole 12 issue run. I enjoyed it back when it came out. I believe John and I did a back issue spotlight. I'm not going to look it up, but I looked up Collector Z <laughs> here in my comic thing. So, yeah, August 2017, the first issue came out, and it was a pretty enjoyable read. But I'm surprised to see six years later we're getting another Met Cadet. Instead of focusing on Met Cadet U, which was the main character of that, it's going to be all of the cadets. And just to let you know, these are kind of I don't know, mech-type characters from Japan. Pick pick your poison. There's been so many different groups of mechs. But these these young kids are in robots. They're fighting kaiju at different times. Mech Cadet U was about the character U in training. And there was some politics and stuff that went on. And I was surprised here on page 92, it says, Now a Netflix series. I didn't know it was a Netflix series. So I'm like, wow, Mech Cadet makes a, a mighty return. So surprising. I had no idea it was going to be created into a TV series. I would imagine it's a cartoon, if anything, just based on the material. It says, fans of the highly anticipated Netflix series won't want to miss the perfect companion series by highly acclaimed writer Greg Pak, superstar artist Takeshi Miyazawa, and Ian Hearing. And why don't they say for fans of the previous comic series? No, it's for fans of the highly anticipated Netflix series, something that hasn't come out. There are no fans. It's anticipated, so whatever. They should have said, for fans of MechDU, here's your next series in anticipation of the Netflix series. But TV matters more than comics today. That's just where the world we live in, and it probably always did, so whatever. Greg Pak, head of Skycorp Academy, must assemble a team of heroes to protect humankind from alien invasions at Stafford U, Maya Sanchez, Frank Olivetti, and Park's own daughter, Olivia, may have been pulled into the role by fate, as they are Earth's best hope. But there's more to their relationship with the symbolic sentient giant robots they pilot, and the alien threat, the Sharg, is far more epic and widespread than any could imagine. While Met Cadets make a fresh debut for new readers and viewers, longtime fans, that's me, can delight in having more adventures after the long-awaited collection of Met Cadets Book 1. I don't know where the collection is for book one. Maybe it was solicited and I just never called it out. But the interior art, I think it's the same artist, honestly. It's it's not going to blow your mind away, but it's decent art. And Greg Pock, he's a great writer. It's fun. If you want a mech series, if you basically want big robots fighting kaiju, this is a book right up your alley. And it's really designed to be all ages. And I'm not talking about kitty per se, but all ages that they don't have cursing and stuff like that. But on to my next pick. My next pick is on page 100 of the Diamond Previews. It is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th Anniversary Special Number 1. Now, this is a 30th anniversary of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, so I'm looking forward to it on that score. It is 64 pages. It is almost $10 shy of that penny or whatever, and it's like, oh. Now, if you want the foil cover, you can pay another $2 and get it for $11.99, but I'm too cheap to do that. The cover they've got is kind of fun with... Dan Mora art of a Power Ranger, but the coloring is kind of segmented, 
So we get yellow, black, red, blue, and pink, uh, with the, the helmet being a little different and stuff. But again, classy Mighty Morphin. Now, one of the things that's cool about this is Amy Jo Johnson, the original Pink Power Ranger, is doing a story here, so that'll be fun. Now, it's 40 pages of new material, 24 pages of classic material that new and old fans will be delighted to experience. I've got a fairly good catalog of Power Ranger comics, so I'm, I wish they would at least spell out what the old stuff was. Hopefully it'll be good, hopefully it'll be fun. If I were them, I probably would have spent the pages on doing a rundown of the various Power Ranger teams and using it as a way to kind of generate or gauge interest for what they should be doing new stories on. But I don't think they're going to be doing that. I don't know. Overall, Boom has been doing just a terrific job with the Power Rangers franchise. Shattered Grid, I think, was the high point. A lot of the other stuff has been a ton of fun. I like when they branch into the other franchises, add a little backstory and stuff. I'm considering the comic side as being its own continuity from the TV shows and whatnot, just because it's telling different stories and doesn't always seem to jive, but it's in the spirit of, and I was going to say the tone and the style, but it's not. It takes the tone and the style of a classic kind of 80s comic, treat the hero seriously, but not too seriously, give him a little angst, but not too much versus uh, sometimes it's a bit more whimsical on the TV show. Sometimes it's a bit more serious on the TV show. Either way, I'm enjoying what they're doing. I'm looking forward to this 30th anniversary special, and I think it's worth checking out. So once again, that's the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th anniversary special number one on page 100 of the Diamond Previews. Hey, this is James back with another pick. And surprisingly, again, it is in the Dynamite section. I had written off Dynamite as a publisher, and not written off that they didn't exist, but that I wasn't enjoying a lot of what they had. It was just a lot of bad girl stuff. And a lot of the creative teams, it just wasn't working for me. But I am picking up the Red Sonia. I picked up the first issue, and I am getting the second issue. I did pick up the Omnibus of Red Sonia. There's actually some other Omnibi being solicited that I may pick up later on. But the thing that caught my eye was on page 129, something I've been seeing all over social media. If you guys are on social media and follow comic creators and comic stuff, you probably have seen this. And it is Fire and Ice on page 129. Number one, written by Bill Willingham. Artist Leonardo Manco. The covers, there's a slew of them because it's dynamite. I'm not going to tell you about them. But the Bilson Kevich one, beautiful, beautiful cover. I'm just looking at it. That's the main cover. Pretty, pretty. Ah, Frank Frazetta. Oh my gosh. Movie poster. Ah, what do I get? Frank Frazetta or Bilson Kevich? Oh my gosh. I love Frazetta. So I, anyways, this is one of the few times where I'm looking at the covers and I, I, I'm literally torn as I would go back and forth. <laughs> okay, but let's tell you what this book is about. Fables and Batman writer. Yep. Fables writer. Good writer. Bill Willingham tackles the untold story of the watershed animated Ralph Bakshi Frank Frazetta movie in time for its 40th anniversary. The 40th anniversary of the Frank Frazetta movie. <laughs> All right. More than four decades ago, two iconic creators came together to bring to the silver screen an amazing new world of magic and adventure. By the way, I've never seen it. I don't know. Maybe it's something I would enjoy. I, I It's 40 years ago. I was 10. You know, I just didn't watch it. Okay. And their classic, the animated film, Fire and Ice, legendary artist Frank Frazetta and famed director Ralph Bakshi, together with screenwriters Roy Thomas, no one other than the famous Roy Thomas comic creator, 
And Jerry Conway <laughs> crafted a unique vision of beauty and danger, of good versus evil, all cast against a hypnotic backdrop of savage prehistoric splendor. Now, at long last, this timeless version is expanding into comics with the first new story to revisit Frazetta and Bakshi's rem- remarkable realm since 1983. So 1983, I was born in 73. So yet yeah, I was 10 years old when Fire and Ice came out. I never watched it. You guys on the Slack, if you think it's awesome, please let me know. I need to know if I need to watch this. I, I, I have no idea. I don't even know where to watch it. But it says also, before the fire warned and the ice spread across the, uh, or sorry, fire waned, not warned, and the ice spread across the world, before Tig- Tigra met Larn, before everything you know about the unforgettable animated movie came to be, there were before times, times when evil might still be blunted, times when in- in, uh, innocence was not yet lost, and Fire and Ice number one, acclaimed comics writer Bill Willingham joins forces with artists. Leonardo Manco, making his triumphant return to comics. Okay, I guess he did Hillstorm, Prince of Lies, and Blaze of Glory. And a new legend is about to be born. This, honestly, it looks awesome. It's, I'm looking at covers, but if you flip through it, there's a whole write-up, two pages, where they're interviewing, I believe it's Bill Willingham talking about it, the project and everything like that. They give you no interior art, but I'm going to look up Leonardo Manco to see what his art is like, but I'm on board for the story. Bill Willingham writes a heck of a good story. This is fantasy. This is swords and sandals. This is Frazetta. This is my diamond says it's gem of the month. This is my gem of the month. If you are a Conan fan, I think this is something you got to pick up. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, I don't know if this is like that, but this is something you got to pick up. I mean, up here in bold, a fantasy classic returns to life with an all new prequel series. This is right in my wheelhouse. This makes me happy. It makes me want to possibly go watch a movie made back in the 1980s that I know nothing about just to get more info on this. I am excited. On to my next pick. Brawlinator again, and I'm not in DC. I'm not in Marvel. I'm now in the previews proper, and I'm on page 129 looking at Fire and Ice Number 1, which is a prequel to the work of legendary animation director Ralph Bakshi from uh, when he teamed up with one of fantasy literature's greatest artists, Frank Frazetta along with legacy comic book writers Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway. This was back in the 80s. They created an animated opus called Fire and Ice, which became a a milestone in adult animation, and some say superior to heavy metal. Now, with licensing oversight and creative cooperation from both the Frazetta and Bakshi families, the great Bill Willingham is taking on the task of weaving a brand new prequel to that animated story, which will provide readers with a compelling standalone tale and is supposed to be seamless in its way it slots right into the chronology of the classic film. Willingham is a critically acclaimed writer for his own fantasy creation, Fables, over at DC. The artwork is by Leonardo Manco, which you may be familiar with from his work on Hellblazer, Werewolf by Night, Hellstorm Slain, and several others. And with the world of Fire and Ice being full of monsters and looming evil and heroic action and other hallmarks of fantasy, Manco's extensive experience makes him a very good match for this. If you're a Conan fan, I think you should definitely check this out. I know for sure James and I will be picking this up, and you can too. The solicit and a few extra pages can be seen starting on page 129. In the Dynamite Entertainment section, it's Fire and Ice number one. 
Dr. Mo here with a Titan Comics pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Robotech, Rick Hunter, number one. After a hiatus of roughly three and a half years, Titan Comics is resuming the publication of its Robotech line of comics. Now, when I last submitted a clip about Robotech comics, it was pre-COVID. It was about Titan's Robotech remix series. Now, the new Rick Hunter series appears to not only in the solicitation tags, but also in the preview covers and artwork that has been shown has absolutely nothing to do with Robotech Remix. Instead, we are flashing back to an earlier time period, probably another timeline, because one of the things that the Robotech series pre-COVID were doing were playing with alternate realities and the multiverse and so forth. Titan was doing some really interesting stuff, but it seems as though Titan has decided we're going back to some meat and potatoes kind of Robotech stuff. This Rick Hunter series, we are going back to a period in between Robotech, the Macross saga ending and the beginning of Robotech to the Sentinels. Okay. Now you're, you're saying what, what Macross, Sentinels, what, what is this? So just to give you a basic primer on Robotech. So Robotech was a animated series that aired in the, in, in the U.S. distributed by a company called Harmony Gold back in the mid uh, 1980s. Uh, the series was comprised of three separate Japanese animated series. Macross was the first 36 episodes of Robotech and involved Rick Hunter, this young upcoming pilot who was having lots of relationship issues and soap operatic stuff going on intertwined with this war between humanity and this alien race of beings called the Zentradi. Now, what does that have to do to the Titan comics series? Now, Rick Hunter has survived the events of the Macross saga. If you've read Robotech comics, you know that this was going to happen. Now, we're, again, we're dealing with this period in between the start of, in between Macross and Robotech to the Sentinels. Doing, according to solicitation text, Rick Hunter is dealing with a Zentradi splinter group. The war between the humans and the Zentradi ended at the end of the Macross saga. The two races are supposedly coexisting. Now Rick is trying to find out what's going on with the splinter group. And and he's going to be meeting characters that will set up the events of Robotech to the Sentinels. Now, Titan Comics has been reprinting Robotech to the Sentinels material, which was originally published in the late 80s, early 90s, 
from a variety of comic companies, including Eternity Comics. And these were written by John and Jason uh, Waltrip. Again, if you are immersed in this Robotech universe, we fans have been craving new material. Even if it's kind of retreading some old ground, we really want some new Robotech material. If you are a fan of the franchise, maybe consider picking this, picking up this this book. Because certainly, by picking this up, book up, by supporting this book, we're showing Titan that we want more Robotech product. The Rick Hunter series is being written by Brandon Easton. Easton has written some comics for for DC. I believe he wrote a Mr. Miracle miniseries. I think he's done some Aquaman stuff for DC in recent years. The artwork is being provided by Simone Ragazzoni, who I know has done some work on Power Rangers from Boom Studios. Again, I'm here because of my nostalgia and connection to the franchise. I'm not overly familiar with the creative teams. But to be frank, some of the uh, previous uh, Titan comic series, they they didn't have that many creators that I was familiar with working on these books, but I enjoyed them. And I think a large uh, amount of that has to do with, it seems to be they are able, Titan is able to at least find creators who have an interest in this property. And by doing justice with this property, and trying to say something new about Robotech. Robotech Rick Hunter number one can be found on page 204 of the previews catalog and costs $3.99. Now, I will point out there appears to be six covers for this first issue by a variety of artists. And so... If you are interested in one of those variant covers, I suggest you contact your LCS as soon as possible. Hey, this is James back with another pick. And this time I'm in, I guess, kind of the back half of previews, but not really in the back half of previews where we have something weird. Now, I'm going to give you the comic that I'm talking about, but then I'm going to kind of pause there for a second because I got to give you some explanation behind this. Okay, the comic is on. Page 248, where we have the, I guess, sub-premier publishers. It's not in the green section, but in a red section. Smaller premier publishers. Where we have, this comic is called The Plot Holes, number one of five, writer and artist Sean Gordon Murphy. And there's plenty of sample pages. There's literally three pages of interior art. There's tons of cover stuff. There's all kinds of info, as much as you could possibly want. But just prior to page 240, on page 246 and 247, who is this by? This is by Massive Publishing. You'd be like, Massive Publishing? I've never heard of them. You may have heard of them. You have heard me calling out things like uh, Heavy Metal Magazine, oh gosh, Liquid Kill, Astrobots, all from Whatnot. Okay, Whatnot. Every time I got a Whatnot comic, when I got Astrobots or when I got Liquid Kill, it had massive written on it. It's like massive, whatever, some kind of marketing thing or, uh, you know, just an LLC for protection. I don't know what this is. Well, it now says build something massive, real big here. And it says on page 246, we are proud to be the newest addition to Diamond's deluxe publisher. 
tier start. So deluxe publisher tier. So it's not a premier publisher, but it's a deluxe publisher, meaning not all the way in the back in the green, but kind of behind the premier publishers. And I think this is a direct response to Image is going to be going to a digital previous catalog. So I probably won't be buying Image because I won't see their stuff and I'll forget about it. If I see something on an order form and I see a name I like, I'll pick it. But I'm not going and picking up that digital catalog. I hate those things. But anyways, whatever. That's beside the point. (laughs) But over here, there's a new thing called the Deluxe Publisher tier. Starting with June 23rd, this catalog, we launched last year with our first imprint, What Not Publishing. We set our expectations and standards high for what we what it will look like to introduce a new comic brand into the market. We debuted with titles such as Alpha Betas, Ninja Funk, Wesley Snipes' The Exiled, which looked interesting, but I missed it. If they do a trade, I'll probably pick it up. Quested and Liquid Kill. And I did pick up Liquid Kill, and they, they didn't put Astrobots on here, which I did get and I did enjoy. These titles wouldn't have been possible without our creators, readers, Diamond, and of course the comic shop owners, who have been great partners. So this is just kind of interesting. They give a whole thing about but wait, what is massive? You know, after distributing over 800,000 units, that's not that many comics, honestly. 800,000 units. Marvel can sell eight comics that are 800,000, but it's not nothing. <laughs> it's something. So they're getting bigger. They have some money behind them. I wish them the best. I'm looking forward to their future heavy metal magazines. I've been enjoying Astrobots. But okay, so with this massive, let's get back to the comic. The pilot or the plot holes. It says the plot holes are a squad of fictional warriors who transport themselves into the pages of other books. Interesting. Using their unique skills to save the plots in order to stop them from being destroyed. That's hilarious. <laughs> a superhero team to save the plots from keep them from being destroyed. And if Cliff is their newest recruit, a comic creator who just realized his world isn't real. In fact, it's complete fiction that literally exists inside of a novel. The other members are misfits like him, pulled from unpublished books that couldn't be saved, a manga samurai, a barbarian tiger, a kid from a comic strip, and a vampire assassin. Outclassed by other members, Cliff sets out to prove his worth to the plot holes as they fight to save as many books as possible. So this sounds like it's going to be super meta, basically all the failures going to save other books and keep them from becoming failures, thus resurrecting the failures. It sounds like it could be fun. Or it could be a train wreck, but I'm going on the side of it. It sounds like it could be a fun plot. You're in it for only five issues. You can give this new publisher a try. The comics are $3.99. You'll get probably 35% off over at Deep Discount Comics with Eric. I will let you know on page 254, I am getting that Crashdown comic. That's three issues, which it, it did interest me. So I am picking up a couple things from the Massive. And Astrobots was good. Liquid Kill, eh, it was okay, but I really did like Astrobots. On to my next pick. Billy Hogan again. My final pick this month is my only pick from Dark Horse Comics from page 262 Black Hammer, end number one of a six issue miniseries. The writer is Jeff Lemire. The main cover artist and story artist is Malachi Ward and cover B is drawn by David Rubin. The Eisner Award-winning superhero saga returns in the series, picking up immediately after the events of the hit Reborn series. In this multi-timeline, world-hopping adventure, we find new stakes, new heroes, and the long-awaited return to Black Hammer form with Weber family reuniting and facing new challenges and villains in Jeff Lemire's biggest event in Black Hammer series thus far. 
Black Hammer The End is the next era of the Black Hammer universe, a six-issue event series by Jeff Lemire and Malachi Ward that pulls the Black Hammer world into crisis and shops on August 30th for the cover price of $3.99. The Black Hammer universe has been my favorite current superhero universe. It takes the superhero tropes and some characters and brings us fictionalized versions of them and takes them in very interesting directions and is kind of a refreshing read from the -the run-of-the-mill stories sometimes we get from Marvel and DC. And I'm hoping this isn't the end of Black Hammer. I hope Jeff Lemire and his creative team come back with some more adventures in the Black Hammer universe once this Black Hammer crisis is over. Thank you, John, for providing this forum so that we can all share our enthusiasm for the comic book medium. And let's not forget to take care of each other out there. And my final pick of the month is on page 273 of the Diamond Previews. It is Star Trek Strange New Worlds Scorpius Run number 1 from IDW. I think IDW's been doing a terrific job with the Star Trek stuff. A lot of their other Star Trek titles are all kind of building into this big, massive storyline. So over in Star Trek Defiance, Star Trek, the annual they did recently, all of that's going into this whole big kind of Klingon-based storyline and stuff, uh, Day of Blood and whatnot, and it's it's good. I'm liking it. I'm liking how they're mixing the franchise and stuff, but there's an aspect where I just want some good, old-fashioned, classic Trek. And Strange New Worlds, both in the comic and on TV, is delivering that for me. So if you're looking something that's maybe a bit more episodic and classic old-school or even next-gen style Trek stories, this may be a good place to check. Again, Strange New Worlds is the branch of the franchise of that for me. So, once again, that's Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Scorpius Run, number one, on page 273 of the Diamond Previews. Brawlinator again, and I'm on page 280 of the back half of previews, looking at a new miniseries from American Mythology, The Masters of Laughcraft meet H.P. Lovecraft, the master of cosmic horror. I'm talking about the classic comedy trio, The Three Stooges, in a mashup of slapstick comedy and abject terror as The Three Stooges take on the tentacle-faced elder-like God himself, Cthulhu. When the trio's latest get-rich-quick scheme goes belly up, the boys find themselves in deep water surrounded by the fishy followers of Old Octopus Face. Their only hope is to track down the reclusive writer of Weird Tales, Howard Phillips Lovecraft himself. I gotta say, this sounds like a ball, and American Mythology has always done the Stooges right, so check it out if you're intrigued and you like funny books the way I do. The solicits are over on page 280 in the American Mythology section of previews. This is Jason again with another pick on page 283 of the previews catalog. It's Calvin and Hobbes Portable Compendium Box Set. Calvin and Hobbes is unquestionably one of the most popular comic strips of all time. The imaginative world of a boy and his real, only to him, tiger first appeared in 1985 and could be read in more than 2,400 newspapers when Bill Watterson retired on January 1st, 1996. 
This compact, portable, new format is designed to introduce the timeless adventures of Calvin and Hobbes to a new generation of readers, and it will fit easily into backpacks as well as on the collector's shelf. Featuring archival slipcase and cover art selected by the author, the Calvin and Hobbes Portable Compendium pays tribute to the strip's origins in newspapers while appealing to both new and existing fans. This set is composed of two 144-page paperback books, including over 500 comics from the strip's debut in November 1985 through March 1987. It is the first of seven sets total to be released between 2003 and 2026. So this series kind of holds a special place in my heart as my grandfather used to always point out the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip pretty much from the time that I can remember. He actually got to a point where he was cutting them out and saving them for me. So whenever I would come, he would show me like his favorite ones that he had. And so when the uh, they they did a uh, like a complete Calvin and Hobbes, that's like a giant 35 slipcase with three hardcovers that go inside of it. Essentially, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a really, really big set, but it has it in three large volumes that I got for him and basically thanked him for getting me into reading comics. And, you know, when I did read the newspaper, I would read the other sections too, but I always had to flip to the comics first. So needless to say, I was sorely disappointed when the Calvin and Hobbes series ended in 1996. But I will say, as far as I'm concerned, they they really hasn't been a series like that that really holds your attention and really captures that idea of a child's imagination and um, bringing that into the real world. So highly recommend this if you like the Calvin and Hobbes series. Brawlinator Ganem, my next pick might not be for everyone. It's found on page 286 in previews, and it's called The Art of Classic Sci-Fi Movies from Various Artists, and it's put out by a publisher called Applause. It's a 10 by 11 hardcover, probably well-suited for the coffee table, but I am intrigued. The solicit says it contains some of the most brilliantly designed posters ever printed, featuring art that was sometimes lurid, always eye-catching, and often simply beautiful. Acknowledging the iconic, but with plenty of room for the rare and unfamiliar, the art of classic sci-fi movies presents a stellar collection of imagery charting the story of the genre from its origins in foundational works through Cold War classics and on to visionary films such as 2001 and Solaris, as well as some less celebrated but nonetheless infamous cultural artifacts and genuine oddities. This has the potential to be something beautiful and a sight to behold. Robbie the Robot's on the cover. Look for it. It's over on page 286 of this month's previews. Hey, this is James here with my next pick. And this time I'm in the AWA section on page 300. That's Artists, Writers, and Artisans with The Madness, number one of six. The writer is J. Michael Straczynski and penciled by ACO or ACO. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. One thing I will say, it says... You know, has a real big red sticker, new from writer J. Michael Straczynski. One thing that made me a little bit, I don't want to say sad, but a little bit disappointed. Straczynski was part of the whole superhero type, the infection that went around the world, that whole universe inside of AWA. And he hasn't been doing anything else with that, which may mean or signal that it wasn't selling as well. 
I don't know. And, or maybe he's waiting to revisit it, had a different idea, maybe want to go a different direction. And But I, I'm starting to feel, and just by looking, you can see, superheroes do well at Marvel and DC, but the comics industry as a whole, when I'm going through the back half, when I'm going through Image, it used to all be superheroes. It's not superheroes. I think the industry and, and, and readers or whatever, if you want your superhero fiction, go to Marvel and DC. And Marvel and DC has declining sales. Maybe superhero comics are in decline. I don't know. But I do know that a lot of other publishers are publishing a lot of other stuff other than superheroes. So it's just kind of eye-opening to me that I'm starting to notice it more and more. You get a superhero thing over at Lion Forge, it disappears. You get a superhero thing here at AWA, it disappears. You get superheroes here left, right, and center, they always disappear. And Marvel and DC seem to have declining sales. I, I Maybe the readership is looking for something other than superheroes. I don't know. But, okay, let's look at this. We got The Madness, number 106, J. Michael Straczynski, who is a terrific writer, ACO. And it is Mature Readers. It's superhero slash thriller. So there, <laughs> go take that. It's a superhero book. I, I'm going to die laughing if this takes place in the world, but it doesn't say it took place in the world, so I don't know. But it, at the bottom, it does say superhero slash thriller. Haha. <laughs> okay. Legendary writer J. Michael Shazinski teams up with superstar artist ACO for a tale of bloody revenge. Sarah Ross's godlike powers made her the perfect candidate for the world's toughest wet work jobs until her government employer decided she wasn't needed anymore. To close the books on Sarah, her handlers decide the smart move is to assassinate her, along with anyone who happens to be nearby. Eh, that sounds like something that could really happen, if there were superheroes. <laughs> now stark raving, mad, and laser-focused on revenge for the murder of her family, Sarah faces an army of superpowered operatives determined to stop her. So, throw everything I said about superheroes out the door. No, I, I jest with that. No, I am noticing that you're not seeing superhero universes not surviving. But this one does have some superhero aspects in it, and I don't know. It sounds cool. It says Kill Bill meets the Avengers. I'm down for that. J. Michael Straczynski writes a pretty darn good book when he's on, and I will this take place in his world? It doesn't say it does, but it doesn't say it doesn't, so I don't know until I read it. And on to my next pick. This is Jason with another pick. Their previews catalog on page 320. It's Gargoyle by Moonlight. It says, Cursed to turn into a gargoyle every night, Gary Doyle fights creepy crawly demons, all the while determined not to let these battles turn him into a monster. Monster punching urban fantasy with a heart to comic that's like Hellboy on Yancey Street. For fans of Do a Power Bomb, Firepower, Werewolf by Night. So this cover just kind of caught my eye, and I, I like the idea of, of course, I immediately thought of Moon Knight when I saw it, but also, like they said, it's a kind of fans, for fans of Werewolf by Night, but it looks like a very interesting uh, one-shot series, one-shot comic. It looks like it's 52 pages for $5.99, so I look forward to checking this out and see if they'll do more of that character, if this does well. Hey, this is James back with my final pick. And this one's going to be a weird one because I'm going to go against what I normally do. And I'm on page 332 and 333, but the solicit's actually on 332. And I'm looking at distillery. We saw talk about this on the Slack channel. You heard people talking about it. Distillery, a new publisher. 
doing things different, you know, with a digital trading store and stuff like that. Anyways, I don't care about any of that. I'm looking at this overpriced comic. And the reason why I say it's overpriced, it's $9.99, it's 72 pages, it's mature readers. Um, that is kind of pricey, but I'll get a discount. I just want to see what this is about. What's the what's the distillery thing? And the thing that I say this goes against what I normally do is it seems to be, or I, I, I'm thinking this is an anthology. And it's a sampling of the books that are going to be coming out from distillery, the creators and their their stuff. This is a one-shot. So 10 bucks for a one-shot, 72 pages. Like I said, you'll probably get a third off or more over at Deep Discount Comics with Eric from Calabunga. It The writers in this are Mirka Andolfo, Brian Azzarello, Mark Bernardine, Elsa Charitier, Becky Cloonan, Francesco Francamvia, Lee Gabbett, Jock, Joel Jones, Ariel Cristantina, Tula Lote, Jamie McKelvey, Junko Mizuno, Stephanie Phillips, Eduardo Rizzo, Scott Snyder, James Tiny IV, Ram V, and Christian Ward. And it says stories by, so some of these could be artists, which basically they are telling a story, even if they are the artist. And it says, The Devil's Cut is your introduction to to Distillery, a new publisher redefining creator-owned comics. Now, we'll see how they're redesigning it. We'll see if they're popular. We'll see if new creators come here, and maybe this is the new image of the future as image leaves and goes into the digital magazine, apparently. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be here in previews anymore. They said they're going digital with their catalog. Good luck to them. Maybe Distillery picks up and more publicity if they move to the front of the book. Maybe people, and it looks like these creators probably have a lot of ties to a lot of popular names out there. Maybe they can put out some good stuff. It says, in the aging process, the whiskey that evaporates is called the angel's share, but the most potent spirits are captured in the wood, the devil's cut. This is the devil's cut, unfiltered stories from the most fearless creators offering a distinct taste of the quality to come. 72 oversized pages printed on premium paper featuring a flight of high-proof work from our founding creators and friends, including Francesco... All right, I'm not going to read all those names. This kickoff issue will never be reprinted in this format again. So that was the key. It's never going to be reprinted in this format again. It doesn't say it won't be reprinted. They could do... The, I'm assuming these are samples, like maybe the first like 10 pages of a comic or things that these creators are going to be doing. I'm assuming they're not going to create this. Maybe those 10 pages are collected in the Mirka and Dolfo collection of her book, but it won't be collected like this again. So pick this up. If you're into speculation, this sounds like it's speculating galore right going on right here. Here you go. Go speculate. I'm buying it to see what it is, to see if I want to read the stories. And I just want to see what Distillery is about because it's brand new. They have some big names on this. I do think it's overpriced, but hey, with what's going on in comics, you never know. You just got to take a swing for the fences sometimes. And I'm going to make this my last pick. So I did want to say thank you to every single person that sent in a clip. I think it's super cool of you if you send in a clip. I think it's it, it's really nice. I, I like last month we had Michael Ho on there doing a clip, and he's done clips in the past, but he doesn't do them all the time. But that was cool. Brawlinator took a hiatus for a while because he was super busy, and when Brawlinator come back comes back, I'm super happy to hear him because his taste and my taste are kind of similar. And Brawlinator has the ultimate like radio voice. I like I think his voice translates perfectly into podcasting. If you ever did radio stuff, just really good. You know, Marvin, Dr. Mo, 
the list goes on. Uh, Billy Hogan, who always comes in with Superman stuff. I mean, I'm not going to name everyone, and I'm going to leave off everyone. Chris Myers, you do clips from t- all the time. But thank you, you guys. I really do appreciate it. And everyone who's listening to this, send in one clip. It doesn't take that long. It takes like 10 seconds. Record it on your phone. Click save. There's a little recorder on there. Save or just send it to John as a wave file. I swear, I swear for the beginning, I didn't know how to do any of these clips. I would record on my iPad and I would send John these gigantic 600 megabyte or 500 megabyte wave files, which is the most, the largest, most uncompressed <laughs> audio that you can send. Now I've got it down to where I use Audacity and I convert it, it converts it to an MP3. So it's a nice little file and I send it to him. But it's really super easy. He does, John doesn't care because he'll convert it to an MP3. He, he, he doesn't mind. And, but the more people voices, the cooler it is. Thank you, John, for the editing. Thank you, John, for hosting this. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys on the Slack channel, on the forums, wherever you guys are. And until next month when we do this again, talk to you guys later. Bye. What's up, guys? X-Men Patrick. You guys know how hard it is to find these distributors or uh, comic book companies like TKO. Like They fell off the face of the earth for me. I have, haven't seen them in a while. I don't know if they're printing new material. No idea. And I have them on my socials. I don't go on social media much. But where did they go? What happened to them? Same thing with another one of my ones I was collecting I haven't read yet was Artist Elite. Artist Elite was like Tyler Kirkham and Freddie Williams Jr. They disappeared. I don't know what happened to them. I was collecting those primer books that were coming out, but my comic book shop stopped ordering them because no one picked them up except for me. So these guys like want to print their own things and want to self-distribute, which is great, but they got to push it. Like they got to, they got to bring it out. Like, I don't know, man, that stinks. Well, with all that, I'm still in the uh, previews book. I'm on page 332. That's 332. I'm looking at distillery. The devil's cut one shot. On the bottom, now it's comic books, never to be printed in this format again. Yeah, right. You're telling me if this doesn't sell like hotcakes, you're not going to make a second print? You got stories by Mirka Andolfo, Brian Azzarello, Mark Brennenden, Elsa Chartier, Becky Cloonan, Francisco Francalava, yeah, I messed that one out, Lee Gabbert, Jacques, Joel Jong, Ariel Cristetina, Tula Lote, Jay McHevy, Junko Manzino, Stephanie Phillips, Eduardo Russo, Risso, Scott Snyder, James Tinian, Rom V, and Christian Ward. That's a lot of dudes, a lot of big names in there. Now they're part of Distillery. Hope it works. Hope they print out good stories. So, on sale in August, 10 bucks. Mature Reader, 72 pages. Cover is very bland. Cover is by Jacques, unfortunately. He's a good artist, but very bland cover. And it doesn't tell you anything that's going to come out in it. I'm going to give it a try. You guys let me know if you're going to try it out. We'll talk about it on the Slack. All right, I'm going to next pick. This is Jason with my next pick in the previews catalog on page 356. It's Swamp God Hardcover by Heavy Metal. It says, at the end of the American Civil War, a ragtag squad of Confederate soldiers calls upon the ultimate evil to save the South. Now the remains of their unit must team with Union soldiers to survive the horrors of the Swamp God. So this originally was serialized in the Heavy Metal magazine when it was still part of Heavy Metal and not Whatnot Publishing. And so I guess it happened over the course of six magazines. And so they decided to release it in single issue comic format 
and I have been getting them, but unfortunately they only printed five of the six issues and issue five was solicited over a year ago and to this date they have not printed issue six in the single comic format. So I've really enjoyed the series and I really want to find out how it ends. So I guess this will probably be my only way to do that. So I uh, I highly recommend this if you guys like kind of that swamp lore, the idea of a monster kind of coming in between, you know, two warring factions and then them having to team up and uh, work together to try to, you know, get out of the situation, essentially. I highly recommend this for fans of like, you know, Swamp Thing or I just call it Southern Bayou Horror. Brawlinator again, and now I'm on page 392 in previews, and I'm looking at Jay Stevens' dwellings from Oni Press. It's dressed up in classic Harvey comic-style art and aesthetics, which is basically my gateway drug into comic books when I was a wee lad. But it looks gruesome, too. I first noticed this over on Kickstarter earlier this year. The comics blend retro cuteness with classic small-town horror. And while it was a slightly different format over on Kickstarter, Oni's reprint of Dwellings will feature two complete and self-contained stories, each square-bound issue. It's from Harvey and Eisner Award-nominated cartoonist Jay Stevens, and it is definitely for mature readers only. Read it for yourself, look at the art, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, and you'll be able to determine from the description whether or not it's something you'll be interested in. You can find that solicit for Dwellings number 1 on page 392, in the back half of this month's previews. This is Jason with another pick from the previews catalog on page 408. It's We Are Scarlet Twilight number four. It says, despite a valiant effort, Captain Lancet and Maxi Militia's attack on Scarlet Twilight has failed and our hopelessly overmatched heroes were forced to retreat. Now Captain Lancet marches back to Manhattan to attack Scarlet Twilight once more, but alone and unarmed with the strategy known only to himself. See Desperate Last Plan and the Final Battle in the Epic Conclusion. So I actually just got issue number one recently, and it definitely did not disappoint. There's a cool twist with the superhero that I like as well, but the art is just absolutely gorgeous. The world is very kind of noir, but also with a hint of futuristic aspects as well. So I I highly recommend this series, and I look forward to getting the four-issue miniseries and seeing if they do more after that. X-Men Patrick here, and I am still in the Marvel of Marvel, uh, the main previews. I am in the very back of the book. This is going to be my last one. 422 Source Point Press Murder by Mail Number Three. I was I've been looking for like a a book a detective book and I know they got Detective Batman but I feel like Detective Batman is not like a detective book anymore. So this seems pretty cool. I ordered all of them so far. Written, created, art, cover, everything by Joshua Werner. Interactive mystery. I don't know what that means. The Curse of Cleaver County. And all right. Murder by Mail, a fully interactive role-playing experience. You are presented with evidence from an unsolved murder case, and through the favors you call in, the interviews you conduct, and your own wits, and attention to detail, you can discover the identity of the killer and put this case to rest. Sounds pretty cool. 
What's that? Like, what's not cool about that? That's kind of like that, um, you get ads that, like, you can solve a murder mystery through the mail, and they give you clues every month or something. Sounds like something like that. In case number three, what starts out as the missing person's case turns into a full-blown hunt for a killer of Sarah Sullivan, a greenhouse worker on the verge of her horticultural breakthrough, where her corpse is discovered in the garden bed of the greenhouse where she conducts her research. Can you trace the roots of the crime through the competitive world of botany and identify the killer before more blood hits the soil? This looks cool. I'm hoping it is like a detective thing and you can check it. You know, they got like clues and all this stuff. And I don't know. Number one should be out soon. I'll let you know through the uh, Slack channel. If you're not on the Slack channel, it's super easy to join. There's not many of us that talk on there. There's probably about like 10, 15 of us that actually write on there. We put news out on there. We hit some of our favorite books down there or reviews. It's a really cool little community if you don't have a comic book community. I don't have one even though I have a comic book store and I can hang out for like 30 minutes, but I got work to do. So that's easy to do online. Slack, download the app. I can text these guys personally. I can text in the big chat. We have a bunch of sub channels, previews, reviews, anything, you name it. Uh, it's cool to join. Also, send a clip in. I know I don't send a lot of clips in anymore because I got busy again. So... Once in a while, I can get on here. Sending clips like this is a cool murder by mail. This is pretty neat. How many people would have known to look in the back of the book for something like this, right? So um, pick what you like. Tell us about it. Put it up. Give it to John through email or Dropbox or whatever you guys do. John will spruce it up, make it pretty for all of us to hear. And you can be part of the community. It's pretty cool. All right. Thank you, John. On to the next pit. This is Jason with my last pick in the previews catalog on page 433. It's the Pacific Comics Companion. I really like these companions by Tomorrow's Publishing as they really go deep into the lore and the history of each company. They usually get some good interviews and really help to flesh out the history and the rise and then ultimately the downfall of it. It says, author Stephen Freed shares the story of the meteoric rise of the Shanes Brothers' California-based imprint, Pacific Comics, which published such legends as Jack Kirby, Sergio Aragones, Steve Ditko, Neil Adams, Mike Grail, Bernie Wrightson, and Dave Stevens. From its groundbreaking 1981 arrival in the fledgling direct sales market to a catastrophic precipitous fall after only four years, the Pacific Comics Companion reveals the inside saga as told to Frit by Bill and Steve Shanes, David Scroggie, and many of the creators themselves. It also focuses on the titles and the amazing array of characters they introduce to an unsuspecting world, including the Rocketeer, Captain Victory, Miss Mystic, Grew the Wanderer, Star Slayer, and many more. Written with the editorial assist of Eisner Award-winning historian John B. Cook, this retrospective is the most comprehensive study of an essential publisher in the development of the creator's rights movement. Main cover illustration by Dave Stevens. My favorites from this company were, of course, The Rocketeer and Elric, which was a good series from there. So I highly recommend this if you have any fond memories of Pacific Comics or if you enjoyed kind of those lost universes that came out a few months back. Brawlinator again, and speaking of Kickstarter, I am pleased to announce that I'm working once again with Eisner-winning writer Mike Barron and the incomparable Pat Broderick on a weird western called Bronze Star. 
And we just hit our crowdfunding goal over on Kickstarter a few days after we launched. Uh, we launched on June 3rd. Uh, so the book is going to print. If you want to check it out, go to kickstarter.com and search for Bronze Star. It'll come right up. It's also featured another crowdfunding platform, which is built exclusively for indie comic books, and it's simply called Fund My Comic at fundmycomic.com, F-U-N-D, My Comic. Comic readers may remember Pat Broderick's work from over at DC. He did Firestorm, Legion of Superheroes, Green Lantern, uh, did some Batman. Also over at Marvel, though, he did Alpha Flight, and I probably know him best for his work on the Micronauts. Now, Pat himself says that Bronze Star is the best work of his career, and the story is a mashup of a Sergio Leone Western and H.P. Lovecraft horror. If you like cowboys or werewolves or both, check out Bronze Star. We do have a limited edition, oversized hardcover artist edition, which is all black and white. It will be lettered. But it is, it's what we did for our Thin Blue Line campaign last year. It's a really stunning edition, which will be autographed on that first page by Mike and Pat. If you're interested, you can also go to bronzestarcomic.com. Brawling air again for one final comment about indie comics and crowdfunded comics in particular. A lot of folks hear about cool crowdfunding books after the campaigns have ended. You've got professionals or former professionals in the comic book industry like Graham Nolan, Ethan Van Skyver, Chuck Dixon, Dale Keown, Art T. Bear, Billy Tucci, Mike Barron, Shane Davis, and many, many more former pros who have all had very successful crowdfunded graphic novels of their own creations. But you rarely see those books make it to the comic book shops or in the previews catalog. That may be about to change. I've got a little inside information on a new distributor that might be picking those up. But until it does, you should check out comicbooknewsstand.com. That's two S's in newsstand. It's a website that's run by Peter Samedi, who is the publisher of Alterna Comics, who brought back newsprint. For his comics, which is ironic because he's the one that has set up the digital newsstand of these crowdfunded comics. So you can find them after those campaigns have ended, either digitally or in print. Just click around and you'll find your way around really easily. I think they've got nearly a hundred different titles there. And if you know anyone with their own crowdfunded book, tell them to sign up their books at comicbooknewsstand.com. It's totally free. And that's it for me. Thanks again to John, James, Kay, and everyone else that helps make the Comic Book Page podcast and the Slack channel community possible. Really, you, you the listener, are doing that. It's a great community. I encourage you and others to join in the discussions, and I hope everyone is ready to have a great summer. I'm looking forward to hearing your selections this month. Thanks. I hope everybody's found stuff they're interested in in the pre-order catalogs this month. I'll be honest, I'm still having a little bit of a, a challenge finding stuff I'm really excited about. I stand behind the picks I've got, but I will say there have been other picks in the past I was way more excited about. But that's just, for me, things are in a little bit of a lull, and I, I kind of apologize for that. I, I don't like it being that way. Hopefully it will improve. I am also getting a little frustrated when things are being offered but not solicited or solicited and not offered. So there are a few too many things in the Marvel previews of, oh yeah, we listed that last month. So if you're getting the print catalogs, I do recommend checking the page at the back of the DC and Marvel ones saying, here's a summary of what all's listed. Because Marvel in particular sometimes has another week or two of material 
that will be in the next catalog, but you need to order now, so just be aware of that. And they're making it a little harder to go find things than they should, and that's that's foolish in my opinion. Anyways, I want to thank everyone who sent in picks. There were some great ones this time around, so thank you James, Patrick, Brawlinator, Jason, Michael, Billy, and Mo. And man, uh, Michael getting up to, what did you say, 92,000 comics or somewhere in there? That's just a staggering amount. So yeah, space definitely a concern at that point, and I'm glad you're you're really enjoying what DC's doing these days. Now, the preview spotlight has an open submission policy. I'd love to get more voices and more opinions in these episodes. Because sometimes if you just talk about a given title and give a little background as to why you're excited about it, or maybe you know something about it we don't, or isn't in the solicits and stuff, sometimes that's enough to get somebody excited about it and to go pick it up. And if more people pick it up, it's going to do better. It'll stick around longer. It's good for everybody. Sending in a clip is as easy as recording it on your computer or your smartphone and then just sharing it with me. I've got a Dropbox link you can put it in. You can email it to me. It's not hard. If you need help, get on the Slack channel and the forum. To do that, there's instructions on the front page of the comic book page website. All you've got to do is submit it there and then follow that up by sending me an email so I know you're an actual person, not a bot, and I'll get you added to those and you can join in the conversation and we can help you figure out the process for you of, of sending in the clips. Again, it's not hard. It's not complicated. Once you get used to it, which may take a little bit of, hey, try this app, or, oh, you're on this type of phone, you know, we can get you squared away on that. But again, more people participating, more vantage points means more different things covered, and more incentive for people to be buying more stuff and figuring out what they're going to enjoy. It's a, it's a matchmaking process, and you may have that piece of information that matches somebody with the right comic for them. And man, that's what it's all about. Now, the deadline for Preview Spotlight is the second Saturday of the month. So that means the next one is going to be July 8th. So you'll have a little time over July 4th if you want to use it to record this. If not, it's not going to impinge on this. And again, the deadline for the Spotlight is up on the front page of the Comic Page website. And if you have any questions, contact me. I'm willing to help you out. Now, one thing I do want to mention, and this is just planning a little further ahead, come October and November, I'm not going to be available at the time I need to be to do the preview spotlight stuff and the usual, hey, send in clips, I'll edit them, I'll get them up. Now, I'm mentioning this because I'm looking for ideas as to what to do with those episodes, because I don't want to just skip the preview spotlight for those two. The idea that James and I have talked about is we'll do maybe an episode of him talking about what he's getting, and the other one would be me talking about what I'm getting, but I'm having second thoughts on that, and I wanted to open it up to the listeners to see if you guys had better suggestions. Now, we've got some time, so what that means is we have the option in maybe September, or even August if if we want to do it a little faster and stuff, but for you guys to send in other clips specifically for the October and November episodes, and maybe we theme those on, hey, here's back issue titles to go check out, or something of that sort. I don't know. I'm open to ideas. I do like having this kind of crowdsourced. I think it gets a good mix of vantage points and stuff in there, and I am, to be clear, not looking for a way I could expedite the process to take less time in October, November. I am simply not going to be available to be doing it at that point. So I'm trying to find a way to get these the episode's done that still gets the mix of voices and opinions and stuff out there in some meaningful way. 
Again, I think maybe doing some back issues or trades to go get or something of that sort or just recommended reading might be a fun way to do it. But please chime in on the Slack channel and the forum. Let me know what ideas you have because the other option is maybe we just don't have a preview spotlight for those months. Not ideal, but might happen. Don't know. So once again, the deadline is normally the second Saturday of the month. The previews always comes out before the end of the the, the previous month, that gives you plenty of time. There's online sources to go get the solicits and stuff if you don't want the print catalogs. But given how a lot of publishers like IDW and stuff are getting kind of tossed into the back half of previews, their solicits aren't as obvious. Image is going to not have a print catalog. For some people, that means out of sight, out of mind. So pointing those things out is helpful. And again, I'm having a hard time finding things I'm really excited about. So these episodes help me out that way. And again, the more of you that participate in it, frankly, the more I enjoy it, and I think the more the listeners get out of it. So with that, we'll call it an episode. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.